But we start the show talking about what is happening with BC liquor stores, as you've been hearing on the news. And I know this was discussed on the Mike Smith show as well. The BC government saying that there will be limits to how much people can purchase when buying alcohol from BC liquor stores. That with the exception of beer, things such as wine and spirits, the limits of three bottles of each type or of each brand of the identical products. Those limits came into a, into place around nine o'clock this morning. So we wanted to talk to the BCGEU about this and what's happening with job action and president of the BCGEU. Stephanie Smith joins us now. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joe. Uh, was this expected when you announced and started, when your union started the job action at the select distribution centers? Did you expect that it would lead to these types of rationings or these types of limits put on people purchasing? Um, certainly we weren't given any heads up, but, um, you know, we wouldn't expect to be given that heads up. That's a, a decision of the employer, the LDB. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, we only learned about it at 8.30 a.m. this morning, about half an hour before the stores opened. So, uh, no, we weren't aware. And do you have any concerns for your members working in liquor stores that customers might be upset or that they're going to have to enforce this these limits? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when uh, panic buying occurred during the, the first few weeks of, of COVID and, um, you know, we we raised massive concerns then about the occupational health and safety of our members and, and the potential conflict uh, position that they'd be put in. And unfortunately, it wasn't really handled very well or managed very well by the LDB. And we had hoped that perhaps they would have some lessons put in place from that, but uh, clearly not. Um, you know, we we, uh, we, as I said, were not given a heads up. Uh, members were given very, very little notice to sort of prepare for this. So, of course, our union and our Occupational Health and Safety Department, are we're working on some information for members right now because our top priority is their safety. And, of course, you know, I, I just put out a call to folks in the public uh, Please, please treat these people with uh, with some kindness and and some patience. Uh, this was a decision of their employer, and it's not their fault. Uh, and what would happen then if a worker at a BC liquor store just doesn't pay attention to this, doesn't bring in, or doesn't impose the limit? Well, again, um, that's a question for the employer. I, I don't have an answer for that question. Um, this is an employer directive, and uh, I would imagine that management on site would have to sort of deal with that that sort of situation, but um, that's not something that our union would, would be involved in. Right, okay. If it, there was a scenario, though, say somebody, uh, maybe it's somebody who runs a pub, or it's just somebody who's who's buying uh, wine or spirits for the weekend or for a party, if they're coming through a till with more than what is now the limit and rather than get in a fight, would it be easier or are members being advised to just let them buy it? I, I don't have an answer for that, Jill. Again, I'm, I'm not management at the liquor stores. Um, that would be uh, up to uh, the direct supervisors and, and the excluded management to um, support members to enforce a directive that they've been given by their employer. Um, if our members, you know, end up in a, in a position of conflict or, you know, there is some discipline that results out of a circumstance because of this directive, which, again, I will reiterate, they were given very, very little heads up on, that's when we will step in and we will make sure we will support our members and, and you know, we will support them through uh, this process as much as we can.
And uh, I know you, you said that you weren't given very much notice as far as this coming in, and it is not, not your directive, it's the employer. Are you concerned, though, that uh, the, the messaging behind this is that this was brought in and this was necessary because of the BCGEU job action? Are you concerned at all that this could lead uh, to, if you had public support, the public turning a bit and not supporting this job action? Well, I, I would disagree 100% with that. This has been brought in because government has made the decision not to do what is necessary to get us back to the bargaining table. And, you know, we have been absolutely transparent and clear from the very beginning of this round of bargaining that what our members needed to see was, you know, wage increases that allowed them to catch up to the erosion under rates of inflation, but also, just as importantly, to make sure that there are some form of wage protections embedded in the collective agreement so this doesn't happen again. So COLA, cost of living adjustments. And, you know, we took a strike vote that we thought was an incredibly clear message. You know, 90, almost 95% of our members said they were willing to take job action to support this round of bargaining. We issued 72-hour strike notice, and 72 hours is a long time for the phone to ring and to be invited back to the table with a meaningful proposal. That didn't happen. And now we're in a position of utilizing the tool in our bargaining toolbox, which is job action. And we wanted to be strategic. We wanted to be impactful to the employer. And it is now the ball firmly in their court. Uh, do you think, though, that, uh, and again, I guess this might be a better question for the employer, though, but people will look at what was offered, uh, the the increase of, of totaling almost 11% over three years, uh, the $2,500 signing bonus up to $2,500. Uh, p- people look at that and, and also look at the fact that here you are, and members of the BCGEU uh, kept their employment throughout the pandemic. Uh, they have very good pension plans and might say that's a pretty good offer. Well, you know, again, uh, you know, the last wage increase that our members enjoyed was 2% in April of 2021, and rates of inflation haven't been at 2% since April of 2021. And what I would say is, you know, when, when our members get a wage increase, it doesn't get put in offshore tax havens. It's spent right in the local economy. It is good for community to have members uh, and working people who are able to afford to take advantage of the amenities in their community. That's good for business. That's good for restaurants. It's good for everybody. And, you know, um, Minister Ravi Callan tweeted out last October, October, that the average wage in B.C. had risen by $5 an hour or 5%, sorry, 5% annually over the last three years. Well, we know in the public sector, we dragged that average down because, as I said, our wage increase was only 2%. So we're not being outrageous here. And in terms of the inflation protections, we're only asking what MLAs themselves enjoy. Their wages have been tied to rates of inflation since 2007. Minimum wage in this province is finally tied to rates of inflation, which, for the exact same reason, allows people to keep up and not fall behind. And that's all my members are seeking. This is the negotiation, though, that is going to set the template or set the tone for other negotiations in the province. And I think the math has been done as far as the public sector uh, in the how many billions it, it would cost if if your union gets what you're asking for. Uh, so there is going to be hesitancy, and perhaps that's why we've seen hesitancy from the government, from negotiators, to go beyond what they've already offered. 
Well, you know, I'm not an economist, um, but I know a lot of people who have combed through BC's budget for 22-23 and, and the fiscal projection over the next three years. And, you know, uh, we know they can afford it. There's $16 billion in unrestricted contingencies right now. Um, the deficit that has been projected will either be completely eliminated or, or greatly reduced because we've had a much stronger economic recovery. And, and I would argue that a lot of that economic recovery has been because the public sector kept those lights on, kept those doors open, kept those wheels turning. And we are going to be vitally important in continuing to grow our economic sector. We're already seeing massive labor shortages in the broader public sector as well in, as in public service, direct government workers. And if we're going to keep the amazing people we already have and we're going to be able to recruit new people in, we need to have competitive wages. The private sector, in fact, is stealing these public sector workers. I saw an advertisement for a dishwasher at a restaurant in Whistler, starting wage of $35 an hour. That is a lot higher than the starting wage of, for example, a BC wildland firefighter, somebody who works for the wildfire service. So we've got some work to do here, and we believe government can afford it, and our members are resolved in their determination to get it. Is there a plan for increased or expanded job action? Should you not get that uh, increased offer? Um, you know, I, we we are, as I said, we're, we're assessing day by day. We want to be really strategic. We want to be um, very thoughtful in how our job action impacts. And um, so, you know, ideally... Our goal isn't to escalate. Our goal isn't to increase job action. Our goal is to get a deal for our members and get back to the table. But if we need to escalate, we will. Our priority, of course, will be making sure that our members are kept very, very informed, that they've got lots of notice. And then, of course, we'll, we'll let the public know as soon as we can. All right, Stephanie Smith, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so very much for having me, Jill. Well, we have been talking about the fact that at BC liquor stores, there are rules now in place, limits when you're buying things such as wine, spirits, cooler drinks, those pre-made drinks that have become so popular in the past few years. And we heard earlier today from a group that represents private liquor stores, Jeff Guinard with the Alliance of Beverage Licensees of BC. This extraordinary decision is made at a tough time for our industry, and it is only happening because the BCGEU is striking outside of the warehouses that provide alcohol to our industry. Uh, they're putting a stranglehold on 40% of the supplies of alcohol that goes through this product. This is not fair. This is going to be impacting local pubs, bars, and restaurants who have to purchase from those stores, uh, and customers are going to start to see stockouts this weekend. So we're we're frustrated, and uh, today we're asking both sides to get back to the table immediately and find a deal, uh, because this is now impacting BC's entire $15 billion liquor industry, the thousands of small businesses, and 200,000 workers that we employ. So, All right, so he mentioned there the impact on pubs, bars, and restaurants, and we wanted to talk a bit more about that. Joining us to do that is Owen Coomer, the Operations Manager at Tap House Coquitlam. Owen, once again, thank you so much for being here. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, what is your response to this news that everybody who purchases from BC liquor stores now has to uh, ration and follow these new rules with limits? Uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty un- unprecedented. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a real shakeup to the industry. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine 
how detrimental this is going to be for small businesses, you know, pubs, bars, restaurants. And then eventually, I mean, the consumer is obviously going to be the most impacted by this because um, I, I can personally attest to you that I was at a couple of BC liquor stores yesterday just to pick up a couple of things and uh, everything that they had already in the back was already on the shelves and they had nothing left and there are just empty shelves constantly, but there's no lineups outside of the liquor store like that mad panic that when COVID, you know, the potential that we've had to shut down those, uh, they had hundreds of people in the lineup and people were just mad, mad buying. Uh, that's not happening because nobody realized how uh, detrimental this is going to be for the industry when they were striking at the distribution center because, again, we, we haven't even got to the inventory levels that we had before, and now things are just getting taken off the shelf, uh, and it's almost it's almost empty. Like, it's it's going to, by the end of this weekend, because of these this news that's just been out, uh, this is going to be um, pretty scary stuff. If they don't get back to the table and get this resolved immediately. Uh, so what does it mean for you and for your operations? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, knowing in advance that this was going to happen, we have been pre-purchasing in advance. You know, again, we are fortunate enough to have uh, the ability to have a little bit more stock on hand uh, rather than, again, a small business that might only be able to have, you know, X amount on their credit card that they have for purchasing and stuff like that. I mean, we, we're a two very large establishments and Again, we've been kind of, uh, I wouldn't say hoarding, but we have been uh, proactively, you know, uh, upping our par levels in the case that this was going to happen. And, I mean, obviously, at a certain point in time, we're going to have to start looking for alternatives. But, I mean, thankfully, we can still get beer. Uh, Thankfully, we can still get wine. It's just that the hard liquor, the the spirits aspect of the industry, that's where it's going to be most impactful because that's where we make the most amount of money. It's, you know, the high profitability and yes, there is alternatives, you know, where we can go to local BC craft distilleries and stuff like that. But if everybody is trying to pick from there, they only have a certain amount of uh, uh, of liquor available that they've manufactured. So uh, again, everything is going to be depleted. I, I don't care how long it takes; it, it will happen. Right, because that was one of the questions too, asking, well, can restaurants and pubs and that could they order directly from wineries or from craft breweries? Which I, I guess you could, but there's probably not anywhere near the stock needed. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's supply and demand, and and a lot of these, um, a lot of these craft distilleries and stuff like that. I mean, they only manufacture basically because they're a small small enterprise. You know what they can sell. They don't have this excess that they've held on to proactively, thinking that oh my god, you know, a year from now there's going to be a strike and uh, we're going to eventually be able to sell all this liquor that we we've proactively done. I mean, that's not the case. You know, they're making it and hopefully trying to turn a profit from what they're making. But it's just in no means is it going to meet the demand of every possible restaurant, bar, nightclub uh, in the city, let alone the province. Um, And again, this is going to impact the regular consumer that is going out to buy things. You know, I mean, if if everybody, even us, if we ended up going to the liquor store right now and I grabbed three, you know, Smirnoff vodkas, you know, and everybody else is doing three smear vodka. Eventually, there's not going to be that, and then they'll, they'll go to the next vodka, and then they'll go to the next vodka. But the regular consumer won't be able to buy anything because even if they decide to go to private liquor stores, which um, I've heard through the rumbling that there are some that have actually, some private liquor stores have actually jacked up the price on things because, again, supply and demand, people will pay for it, which is just uh, disgusting. But um, eventually, they'll run out too because they have to buy directly from the BC uh, liquor store for a lot of products too. So even private retail will eventually run out of things that the regular consumer wants as well. So, 
Yeah, it's very, very trying times. Right. And are people getting creative, I guess? And like you said, you went to the liquor store and picked up the three bottles. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, you could go and, and take 10, 10 workers with you and you could all, if the supply was there, buy three bottles. And I would imagine if people are thinking that way, too, it's going to run out even sooner. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, uh, there's going to be lots of, uh, you know, things that we're going to have to do. But I mean, I'm not even getting to the point of uh, what we also may do. But, you know, there's things like uh, happy hours, you know, at places like a Cactus Club or us or wherever. Like, are we are they going to start removing some items that were, you know, heavily discounted in order to, again, ensure that we have enough product that people are paying full price for it? Things like that going to happen. I mean, it's uh, are, are, are we going to get back into a beer focused uh you know focused thing it's funny because literally they were doing studies saying that you know even the the rtds which are the um you know the pre-mixed drinks you know people were kind of you know getting tired of it that they were going to go to beer well now you know spirits are really hard to get so is it they're going to choose that or is wine going to be the next takeoff for the short period of time but again it's just in a matter of time where stocks is just going to deplete wherever people are trying to get their booze from so Again, the faster we can get uh, the you know people back at the distribution, you know, and at least providing something, you know, that's all I would ask is that if they could just be a little bit more rational about it and say, could we possibly just have a very limited amount of people that are working at the distribution trying to get product out to so that there isn't a mad panic because everybody in the restaurant, bar, and hospitality industry, we're still still get feeling the effects of the post sort of pandemic you know we haven't got there yet the inventory levels let alone the staff and the and things like that i mean I, i'd hate for people to end up getting laid off because they, they a restaurant can't survive you know just selling you know wine or, or beer so uh, yeah, and I mean, I mean, that's been a lot of the feedback we've been getting as well. People saying exactly that. Look, things were just getting back up into full swing, and now we have this happening, and it and it just, you know, people are not, not happy about that. Uh, so I, I know there are a lot of calls for hopefully getting back to the table and getting a deal for this. But like you said, how long, if this continues then, with these limits and with everybody kind of scrambling and trying to get product, how long do you think until, or are we already seeing empty shelves? Well, we already are seeing empty shelves on a number of uh, lower-priced product. And a lot of the lower-priced product are the things that are in, let's say, restaurant, bar, pub, nightclub, like liquor tanks or their, their speed uh, wells, you know, the, the, the Smirnoffs, the Bacardis. Um, it's just that's going to go first, and then they're going to find an alternative to whatever that brand and price point is. And, and even consumers, you know, a lot of consumers are buying those things at that price point because of obviously high costs, you know, high cost of living, high cost inflation, gas. You know, people can't just start afford buying Don Julio's and Patrons. Like, you know, they prefer their little Jose Cuervo, but it's going to be the low-end stuff, and then it's going to start trickling up. And uh, I would say that uh, by midweek, if nothing is is there, I wouldn't be surprised that – if liquor stores ended up uh, actually some closing, um, because at the end of the day, how many employees can work if they only have maybe 10% of product available on the shelf? I mean, it, it would be really silly to continue to be in that operation. So that, that's my guess is that, you know, by, by the end of next week, um, I, I would assume that, you know, if they don't get back to the table, that there might be some, I don't know, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I'm really not sure. I just know that right now it's probably going to be a mad panic uh, this weekend with consumers buying as much as possible that's left in the city. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I, I'm hoping that uh, we can get this rectified sooner than later. Right, because, and the irony too, in that isn't, wasn't it considered, if not declared, essential during the pandemic? It was. 
And that's what I don't understand. You know, during the pandemic, you know, the they, they distribution center and, and the government employees for the BC liquor stores were considered an essential service. And this is an essential service. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people in the hospitality industry that are going to get affected by it. It's not just the 30,000 people that are in the BCGU. And again, that doesn't even include what else of the regular population that's now going to have their lives somewhat affected, you know, by them not being able to, you know, purchase their liquor and have their stuff for their barbecues and so on, or have to travel around the city looking for their favorite thing, you know? Um, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's so impactful. I just can't believe that they haven't even discussed uh, an alternative during this dispute, because this has nothing to do with the hospitality industry. And, and again, I just, I, I feel like, Last week, when they just hit the distribution centers, nobody was actually, you know, uh, making a big deal about it because people aren't aware about how impactful the BC liquor industry is to the British Columbians. Like I said, with Jeff, uh, you know, from Abel, it's a $15 billion industry. You know, we, a lot of our taxes and a lot of things are, 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 you know, provided for the people of BC. And now we're, we're basically handcuffed. And then the hospitality industry, which is the backbone of, uh, the, you know, BC's workforce, are now get hitting again with something else that, 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 uh, that we're still, you know, reeling from the pandemic. So uh, this is scary times. You know, it's quite shocking and, and upsetting, you know. And like I said, the last thing I would want to see is, you know, people end up losing their jobs again, you know, uh, for the third time, you know, in, in the past three years because, you know, people just can't afford to pay their employees because there's no money coming in. All right. Well, Owen, I do hope things uh, get better and I'm sure we'll check in with you again. But thanks, as always, for being available and talking with us. Sounds great. Thanks again for having me. Thanks so much for being with us. So, well, we've been spending a good amount of time talking about the big update when it comes to the ongoing job action by members of the BCGEU. And we now know that there are limits that have been placed at BC government liquor stores when it comes to purchasing some products, not all. Beer is not included in this, but limits on the purchasing of wine, of spirits, of the premixed cooler drinks in that per individual, you can take no more than three of any individual item per day. Uh, That's the limits that have been put into place. So talking about three bottles of wine, the same wine or three bottles of the same vodka. We've been talking, or other uh, hard liquor, we've been talking a lot about this on the show today, the impact that this is having, not only on the public, but also on pubs, on bars, on restaurants. We tried to get somebody from the government to talk about us. So we We checked in with the finance ministry. We were told from the finance ministry that no one was available and to try public safety. So we reached out to the public safety ministry and we're told there's nobody available. Try finance. Instead, we tried labor to see if somebody from the labor ministry might be available. And we were told again to try finance, looping us around full circle back to the finance ministry who said nobody was available. Try public safety. It's kind of like that song that never ends. So no one from government available, apparently, to talk about this today. So we are going to check in with the B.C. liberal finance critic, Peter Millibar, who joins us on the line now. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Absolutely. Always good to be on. Uh, What are your thoughts about this, the ongoing job action and what we're seeing now when it comes to liquor distribution in B.C.? Well, the the job action is one thing, but I think the the complete confusion and lack of wanting to take any responsibility from government is is even more shocking. 
you have the public uh, with total confusion as to what's going on right now. The industry is not 100% sure how things are rolling out. And no one in government wants to actually talk about who actually made the decision uh, to bring this uh, uh, SNAP decision in to, to bring in restrictions, uh, how long the restrictions are going to last, uh, and more importantly, what is their plan to actually try to bring some resolution to the overall dispute with the BCGU and uh, long-term other public sector unions. Uh, so what would you do if you were the minister in charge? Well, first off, if, if you've made a, a decision like this, uh, stand in front of a microphone and explain it. Uh, they had no problem doing that when there was gas rationing, when uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, had their, their incident during the November uh, flooding event. Uh, yet today, no one's available. It's simply not good enough. Uh, the Minister of Finance uh, may or may not be on holidays. Whether you're on holidays or not at a certain point, your job uh, dictates that you have taken on a responsibility that sometimes your holiday might actually have to be cancelled. How many nurses out there keep getting called back in while they're on holidays or told they'll be fired if they don't come back uh, to a shift that needs to be covered, yet the finance minister can't be bothered uh, to make comment on this today? It's simply not acceptable. Uh, Do you think that a measure like this is one of the the reasons perhaps for bringing this in is to put pressure on the union to come back or or to to do something that does get attention? And certainly when you're talking about limiting the amount of wine, of spirits, of alcoholic beverages people can purchase on a Friday afternoon, it gets a lot of attention. Well, it's a Friday of of a summertime weekend, obviously. Um, you know, I'm not sure who the government's trying to put pressure on with this or not. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I was in the industry for the better part of uh, 25, 30 years. I sold my store about four years ago now. Uh, but the private stores don't have a restriction. Private stores actually have a smaller inventory in their stores than government stores do. So none of this makes any sense on how they've rolled it out, what their logic is behind it, and to not have any single minister from government wanting to speak to it to be bothered uh, to interrupt their holiday to explain why the government decision was what it is. We don't even know for sure who signed off on this. Was it the, the public safety minister? Was it the finance minister as a result of her, her role in the overall negotiations? Uh, who exactly uh, thought this was a good idea? Uh, right. So when we put the question to the finance ministry, reaching out to ask if the minister was available, the response was a statement that's attributed to the BC LDB. But you're right, it doesn't come, there's no minister or, or there's no name attached to it. No, and so is the LDB management now just making decisions of, of supply management for the broader population without any uh, cabinet or ministerial oversight? Uh, do they have that type of authority to, to do that? I mean, you look at what happened with BC Ferries, uh, record, uh, record sailings, record profits, they fired their CEO. Um, and yet we have LDB that can just start making unilateral decisions like this while ministers stay on holidays. Um, you know, I think that's just what people are getting frustrated. I listened to a few different NW shows earlier. The callers definitely are frustrated by this. And, and I, I think it's that, that vacuum of any governmental spokesperson and an elected official um, way to, to actually speak to this, to explain it to people, and more importantly, to give a, a broader sense of what uh, the strategy of government is moving forward or are we expecting an incremental uh, disruption of services and the government is ready to, to make sure that the public are, are inconvenienced uh, extremely long times if they're not prepared to negotiate with the GEU? Because, um, you know, it's one or the other. And I think people need to kind of have an idea what's going on. Businesses can't survive with last-minute uh, unilateral decisions like this with no warning.
Uh, I put this question or I talked about this uh, with Owen Coomer, who was on the program earlier today. He's the operations manager at Tap House in Coquitlam um, about the, the what some might look at and think it's a bit ironic that given during the pandemic, when businesses were closing, when things were closing down as a response to the pandemic, liquor sales were considered an essential service and they stayed open. And there was talk of, could you imagine what might have happened if they had shut them down? Uh, yet here we are. And again, on a Friday afternoon, we're, we're told that there are going to be these limits as far as sales. So should it be declared, do you think, an essential service? Well, well, I think what, what needs to happen is the public needs to have a very clear understanding and accounting for from either the Labour Minister, the Finance Minister, the Solicitor General, somebody in government as to what moving forward uh, the 33,000 BCGU members have, have come to an agreement with government as to what will be deemed to be essential uh, for the purposes of the strike or not essential for the purchases of purposes of the strike. And if there's a, a deviation between what they were treated like in COVID versus during a strike, the government needs to explain to the public uh, why indeed that is the case. Uh, but we haven't seen that in, in any type of fulsome type of conversation publicly. Um, we and, and I think, again, that's where the confusion starts to come in for the public is because um, no one can understand um, how we had a, a government that was willing to, to declare one thing essential during a, a pandemic, yet agree to uh, with the union as to what is deemed essential or not uh, for strike purposes. And so... Um, that type of clarity, that type of transparency, we've been sadly missing from this government for seven years on a wide range of issues, but uh, or five years. But uh, right now, uh, it's important, I think, moving forward that people fully understand. And, and the first step is to have a minister actually willing to stand up and do their job and speak to the file that they're actually responsible for. Uh, the latest offer that was put to the union, and this uh, came from the B.C. government, saying that they've offered a three-year contract with wage increases that amount to almost 11% with a signing bonus of up to $2,500. So that clearly wasn't good enough because we saw the job action after that. Do you think that's a good offer? Well, I think what we're seeing is that uh, this is the fallout from uh, the premier and the finance minister and the rest of cabinet. Uh, deciding to give themselves retroactive uh, 10% pay raises that kicked in a year ago now, but only were approved this year. Um, the S uh, MLAs in general, myself included, uh, we get a cost of living increase. Uh, this year it was 2.8%. Uh, last year it was 0.8%. And the year before we took a freeze because of COVID. Uh, so that's the MLA side of the equation. But at the exact same time this year at budget time, uh, the Premier and the Finance Minister decided to sneak in a a retroactive 10% pay raise for uh, for cabinet only, and uh, we heard from unions instantly. So it's not surprising that their leadership's a little bit wondering um, why why cabinet and the premier seem to think uh, their massive retroactive pay raises are okay uh, when everyone else is just looking for for something close to cost of living. Right. And I mean, we're used to seeing that, though, from all governments, aren't we? The fact that whether it's civic level, provincial, federal uh, governments giving themselves pay raises, not justifying it, not saying it's right. And certainly that is what angers a lot of people. But it's it's not only this current government that has done that uh, as far as giving themselves retroactive raises. Well, no, the retroactive 10 percent pay raise for cabinet uh, was strictly for cabinet. Uh, They actually repealed uh, legislation to make it happen and remove any fiscal accountabilities uh, in terms of deficit spending and, and the decisions by cabinet 
to make that happen. And so this was very much uh, uh, thought out and, and uh, uh, you know, legislatively crafted change to how the law was written for how Cabinet and the Premier got paid uh, that this government did uh, during this last uh, budget that was implemented. When you talk about cost of living adjustments or COLA, as we've been hearing in the union saying that that has to be part of the agreement, part of the settlement, uh, people that have been calling into this radio station writing in are saying, well, hold on a second. Again, this deal that they've been offered seems like a pretty good one. Uh, it's not like everybody uh, gets uh, cost of living, gets uh, COLA in, included in, in whatever deal they've reached or included in their salary. Um, is there a way, do you think, or is there a place where it would match what ML have, or is there a way to bring this in, do you think, to, to please both sides? Well, I think the, the key is some of the COLA discussion is uh, what date are you looking at COLA? As I say, the, the, the references that MLAs gave themselves COLA on April 1st, uh, ours is based on a January uh, COLA number, so it was 2.8%, and that's what took effect on April 1st. Uh, we technically would have been more than what the government just offered uh, the BCGU. Um, you know, I'm not at the negotiating table, so I can't say where the sticking points are. What I can say is uh, that there doesn't seem to be any meaningful uh, engagement going on right now. The government doesn't seem to want to address to the public, uh, you know, what their plans are moving forward, how they're going to try to minimize any potential impacts uh, to the public. Instead, we get these snap um, announcements on a Friday morning that they're going to ration uh, sales in government liquor stores only, but not anywhere else. Um, but that's still going to put a pressure on the restaurant industry in terms of them trying to access uh, product for their own customers. And so, uh, you know, that's that, that underlying piece here that people are, are very frustrated by. You know, the government started this off saying there was no way they were ever going to um, uh, talk about their bargaining mandate publicly when we were asking. Uh, then, lo and behold, uh, they do an end run on the GEU and they start pushing things out very publicly as to what they were offering the union uh, to try to move things back. Um, all at the same time that we have the a, a, a longest transit strike ever in the Sea to Sky Corridor and the government saying they don't want to interfere in bargaining. Yet they go and release their offer mid-bargaining, uh, trying to actually do just that. So they're all over the map when it comes to, to bargaining right now. You can see why uh, the unions get a little frustrated with that. But the bottom line is uh, the government is the government and they need to figure out a way forward um, to get a settlement and and, uh, rejig things uh, within that offer. It might have to stay within the same financial envelope, uh, but what is the actual rejigging of the numbers in terms of a benefit package uh, coupled with wages, coupled with signing bonus, that finally gets to an agreement. But if they're not willing to even uh, um, do that in a meaningful way with any creativity whatsoever... Uh, we're just going to see ever-escalating drawbacks. All right. Uh, Peter Millibar, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Anytime.